somebody who has a mental illness can be mentally healthy. Somebody who doesn't have a mental health diagnosis is perhaps living mentally unhealthy. Oh, I love that. Someone that is well can be living mentally unhealthy. Welcome to the Nurse Wellness Podcast, empowering nurses to manage stressors so they can intentionally reconnect with their purpose, optimize their wellness, and ultimately show up in the world the way they want to be seen. I'm your host, nurse practitioner, Wendy Garvin-Mayo, your stress solution strategist. In this podcast, you'll receive actionable stress management tips, insightful interviews, and strategies that focus on inspiring you to be your best, do your best, and give your best. With that, let's get started. Welcome, Cheryl, to the Nurse Wellness Podcast. I'm so excited that you were here, and I know that you have some gems to share with our listeners. So let's start out by you telling our listeners a little bit about yourself. Who are you? (laughs) Hi, Wendy. Thank you so much for having me. I've been so excited to chat with you. Uh, I'd say, let me tell you, who am I? I'd say I'm a daughter, a wife, a mother, a nurse, a teacher, and many other things. But all jokes aside, um, I lecture at the School of Nursing uh, on the UE campus in Kingston, Mona. And I am a registered nurse by profession. I have additional training in psychiatric nursing, but mental health and well-being is my passion. And so if you had to ask me in one sentence, I'd say I'm a mental health advocate. I'm really all about getting persons to be focused on their mental health, to know how to get it and how to keep it. I love that. And mental health is such a hot topic now, especially, I can't even say post-COVID. I feel like we're still in the COVID era and I feel like um, we're still in it, but we're trying to just move forward, but we're stuck. And, and I think like mentally, not not physically, like mentally we are, but physically we we're going. We look like everything's okay, but mentally we're, we're stuck. Um, how did you get interested in mental health going from, you know, being a nurse, uh, teaching, being a professor? How did you become a mental health advocate? Well, I'd have to tell you, Wendy, that started before I started teaching I would say that started while I was working as a psychiatric nurse and while I recognized the importance because there is a stigma attached to that aspect of nursing. What I really wanted was for persons to understand that some of this could be prevented and that we have to really be focused on ourselves. So I started talking about mental health and doing advocacy, I'd say maybe more than 10 years ago. Um, I'd agree with you that we are mentally stuck. I'm not happy for the pandemic. I am happy to have had more ears because I think while I was trying to bring this point across, a lot more persons started listening during the pandemic when they recognized that what was happening is they were not focused on their mental health before the pandemic. And when the crisis came, their response was really terrible. So now we needed to do something about that. So I'm hoping moving forward that persons will recognize we need to be mentally healthy or be trying to be mentally healthy so that when we have a crisis, our response is much better. Yeah, I love what you said about the stigma. And I think the stigma is what make people ignore or not uh, become aware of their mental health because of that stigma. But I think that's one thing with the pandemic, it helped remove that because we're so openly talking about mental health and uh, accepting mental health and letting people know it's okay to talk about it. It's okay to get help. 
Um, what do you think we need to do to help, you know, remove that stigma a little more around mental health and mental wellness? I'd say my go-to has been what I've been doing, which is mental health education and promotion. One of the things that stigma causes is that when I say mental health, people hear mental, but they don't hear health. As opposed to when you say I'm healthy or I'm not well, but mental health education and promotion leads to mental health literacy. Knowing what we need to know helps us to realize that it's not something that we can do without. So when I say to somebody, if your car breaks down and you go to the mechanic, that's their expertise. It's a similar process. What I'm saying to you is just the way you'd exercise or you change what you eat. It's your need to do something every single day that focuses on your being mentally healthy. And that's all it really is. So this, the education and the promotion builds the literacy and helps to take away that stigma. What responsibility do you think organizations and corporations and healthcare organizations have in terms of helping uh, remove the stigma from mental health? Because many times, you know, the stigma, people don't want to attach themselves to a mental health diagnosis because it's going to impede or um, impact their ability to live the life they want to live, whether that's get a job, whether that's um, go to school, whether that's uh, getting a home, getting a loan. Like, you know, I think that's that's the the fear that people have. Like, I don't want to say I have depression. I don't want to say I have anxiety. I don't want to say I have bipolar because it's going to impact my life. Um, what are your thoughts around that? Well, for the first part, I'd say organizations and companies, even in healthcare, there is that stigma for us. And you think that persons who are healthcare professionals would know better. So they do have a role to play. I'd say the same way that we promote health overall and we include, you know, maybe you need a um, a gym or we need an exercise area and we need somewhere to breastfeed and those other kinds of things, we need to have activities that target persons and their mental health. And then we also need to foster an environment that is workable for persons with a mental health diagnosis, because one of the things that stigma does is it labels you. And so we say the schizophrenic, you know, or the diabetic, and we need to move away from that. There's somebody who's living with a diagnosis. And so they have a right to feel that way because in many instances, once somebody knows your diagnosis, you're treated differently. And so we also need to have education and promotion about mental health diagnoses, what they are and how people are living with them, because there will always be those persons. If they don't tell you, you wouldn't know. So why should we treat them any differently? So they have a two-pronged role to play. We want to promote good mental health and we want to ensure we foster optimal functioning for those persons who have a mental health diagnosis. Work, as you probably know, Wendy, is one of the number one stressors that we could all face. Yes, it is. Workplace stress is on the rise. And I don't believe organizations, corporations are doing enough to address uh, workplace stress, which leads to mental health. And one thing I've been wondering um, in terms of organizations and corporations around mental health and wellness is when you fill out an application for a job, they do ask you about, are you a veteran? They want to know your status. They ask, do you have disabilities? They want to know your gender, your age, but there's no question about mental health. What are your thoughts on putting your, like, do you have a mental health diagnosis or maybe they'll word it a different way on a job application? Because I think it's important to your overall health and how you can function in a position. What are your thoughts around that? Um, I'd say my thoughts are perhaps similar to yours, that it's important. 
I would say with stigma, I can understand the hesitation. Um, companies don't necessarily want to get involved. Some of them, there are some companies who are stepping forward. So they perhaps don't want to know because this requires them to have, I'd say what they term special um things in place for you. And then on the other hand, the persons are perhaps afraid to divulge that information because what that means is that it may they may not get the job one and or if they do get that job, having proven that they can manage, there will always be that kind of special treatment in the workplace that they don't want because they are fine and they are managing their diagnosis and living just well. Somebody who has a mental illness can be mentally healthy. Somebody who doesn't have a mental diagnosis is perhaps living mentally unhealthy. Oh, I love that. Someone that is well can be living mentally unhealthy. Yeah. Someone with a mental illness can. Wow. I love that. That's something you don't really think about. Very interesting. So what are you seeing in higher education as a professor? What impacts of the pandemic are you seeing on students right now? I'd say our students, well, the online, the virtual learning platforms um, really took a toll, I'd say, on students and on teachers. It's very different. We are human beings. We do like touch. And for a lot of the students, there are different types of learners. So just doing virtual was really not so great. Um, the assessments got changed. You know, we had a couple of challenges with students not being honest. Um, the clinical experiences sometimes also got thrown off because we had to either stop or change to simulation, which didn't give a very good picture of your real patient. Simulation has gotten way better, but it still wasn't the same. And then a part of what happened is that some started school completely virtually mm. and some finished completely virtually. So we're having a little bit of a challenge where both are concerned. I'd say the main thing is perhaps what we call um, transition shock when they actually get into their RN status. And so I'd say a little bit more mentoring and coaching is perhaps needed when they do transition or some have transitioned and that would have been a good um, experience for them to realize where they are. So it was good to continue school. It was just a little bit more of a stress to realize that you did so virtually as opposed to face-to-face. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point around um, the world changing, healthcare changing, how we learn, how we're educating is changing and evolving. So schools of nursing have to change with that and really build in um, other resources such as mentorship, such as stress management, such as wellness, such, you know, because these nurses, like you said, it's a shock when they launch out into the workforce. And I can imagine not only shock when they're uh, launching onto the workforce, but even like taking their boards. Have you seen an impact on, um, you know, student nurses passing the boards due to, you know, learning virtually? Um, for us, I'm not sure what the overall percentages were across our country. For our school, I think it was pretty similar. Um, even though it was virtual, we would have had a similar method of preparing them to complete those exams. So the processes and the questions kind of were similar. I'd say overall, though, one of the things that I found a shortage in, and that's a part of what my PhD focuses on, is mental health education and promotion for our students The transition from high school into university. They need some help with that for their mental health and to successfully complete university. And then we still need to ensure we bolster that because then they need to transition into being adults and the work world. So that's something that we need to work on. We seem to have programs to respond 
if there's a mental health issue, but we don't have any programs to help to prevent having the issue in the first place or to help them keep their mental health while they are transitioning in this college stage. Yes, well, we are a reactive society, unfortunately. Unfortunately. <laughs> Nothing's proactive. I mean, you know, they, not nothing, but many things we're not proactive about. And I think that's one thing with this pandemic is that uh, we have evidence that we need to be more proactive, especially around mental health and in our children. I love that, that concept of maybe having some sort of bridge between high school and um and university. So it's so different. And especially those students who are learning in a virtual world and maybe they're going to school or they're hybrid. I think schools are doing so many different things. And I don't know if they're, you know, hybrid still, or they're, they're back in school. What's going on where you are kids uh, back in school full-time? They are almost everybody's back in school full-time They're in our university. There are a couple of um, hybrids still happening, but I'm thinking when we get to September, that will all be changed except for the courses that were all virtual in the first instance. Um, but I'd say that was, it was a challenge to suddenly transition to all virtual. Then it became something that you kind of got accustomed to. And then we had to do hybrid and then we had to go right back into face-to-face for each section of that. It was an issue with the transition. And so that's something we look at because life transitions are really a challenge to your mental health. And one of the things I started doing a couple of years ago was I have one course I teach that's really about mental health nursing, which covers the psychiatric aspects. But what I found was it's a year three course and my students were um, pretty much stressed and not feeling like they were successfully managing university. So I kind of found a couple of creative ways to sneak some mental health in. For them to understand that the mental health and well-being for their patients is important, but also for themselves. Because we keep saying it, you can't pour from an empty cup, but what does that really mean for you as a student? And especially because you've chosen a profession like nursing, what does that really mean to you? So I've been trying to work through that medium to help them to um, become better at being mentally healthy and being focused on their activities and to also utilize that when they go out into the clinical space. That's amazing. And do you mind sharing some of the strategies of how you strategically or innovatively incorporated that into your curriculum? Because I think it is a responsibility. We say we say nursing schools, like schools of nursing, but it's really the individual professors to one, realize that um, it's an issue Two, realize that they can be the um, the point person to really change that. Like you said, how do it how do you incorporate it into your curriculum to have student nurses know that you have to take care of yourself in order to effectively care for anyone else? You have to care for yourself mentally and physically. What things did right. you do? Or, or so like- some of the things I've done would have included um, for their coursework, instead of giving them just something about psychiatric nursing, we made one aspect about mental health and well-being. So we had some topics and they had to do presentations and those topics included what would you do for your mental health to transition to university for instance what would you do if you were becoming a new parent we spoke about conflict resolution we talked about things like that we've had sessions in the past where they made a plan and we opened it to the entire university and we had sessions on the halls of residence for all the students to come out And to share openly, we invited other mental health experts to come in so they could have a safe space to talk. Um, We've been able to look at having role plays and skits 
depicting what is it that you would do in a situation where you're not feeling mentally healthy and how would you respond to that? And then we discuss that afterwards. I've gone as far as to have them write um, poetry about what they feel and how that it helps them to express themselves. And then we've gone as far as to do surveys. What would you want to have in the university that fosters good mental health for students? So there's been a variety of things that I've included to, to just help them to get to that place. And usually it includes at least one lecture session that helps them to recognize what's the difference between mental health and mental illness and how they should be focused on themselves. I love that. I love that. And you just provided so many nuggets for our listeners that someone can really take that and model it in their own classroom. I, I love that. And and you mentioned something, what's the difference between mental health and mental illness? I would love if you can differentiate that for us. <laughs> well, one of the challenges I found when I started looking at literature was that when you say mental health, what you really find is a lot about mental illness. What I wanted to, to distinguish was the definition of mental health by WHO, World Organization, says it's about knowing your abilities. It's about um, having satisfaction from living. It's about more than not having a mental illness diagnosis. So I talked to them about being mentally healthy and that it includes taking care of yourself. It includes being able to think and feel and process um, rationally to be able to recognize if you're not managing. And I say to them usually, you know, when it's coming up to exam time, for instance, if you're not sleeping well, or if you feel like you're feeling very down consistently and you're eating because we stress eat. And they say, yes. And I'm like, well, then you're mentally unhealthy. That's what's happening to you because your coping mechanisms are not helping you to process and to function properly. And I said, as opposed to a mental illness, which means that you have a variety of symptoms over a period of time that are specific to the many different mental illness diagnoses we have. And that's usually something that a mental health professional, either an advanced practice nurse or a psychiatrist would see you and they would diagnose you with. And treatment would include perhaps medication and or therapy, but it's something that you don't diagnose for yourself, but you do recognize the signs and symptoms. They're like, oh, so I was like, yes. Yeah, so somebody may be having some symptoms. It just may mean that they are mentally unhealthy in this moment. And then somebody else may be displaying symptoms of a particular mental illness because we do have a lot. And that helps them to realize that when we say mental health, we're not just using it in a broad brush way across everything. I think that needs to be a button, a t-shirt, something. Because <laughs> I, I don't think people stop long enough to really think through the difference. I think when you say mental health, they think mental illness. They think it's synonymous. And I think that's where the stigma is. And I think, you know, what you were saying about the education and literacy is so important. Just the definition you just gave, the differentiation is so important that can change someone's mind about mental health and may even change someone's behavior on how they really manage their mental health. I think that's amazing. You have to put that somewhere. I, I don't know where, but <laughs> I, I'll work on it, Wendy. One of the, the things that came out of the pandemic, there are two things. Um, my colleagues and I started a, a blog and we kind of abandoned it a bit and we need to get back to it. That's titled The Mind Matters. And what we really wanted to focus on was mental health across the pandemic. You know, so we looked at different things like... um I wrote about how we manage as teachers. We spoke about grieving. We spoke about how the children are affected because people don't realize that the children's mental health are also affected. And based on your age group, they responded differently. And then 
the second thing was I may have been doing talks and presentations, but I started using my social media just a little bit more deliberately because everybody who knows me knows I share about mental health. But what I started doing was one week in every single month, I pick something, uh, a particular topic and mental health, and I share information and resources on that. So that's a part of the education and promotion because I agree with you when you share it like that that's a great way for people to realize what she's really saying is if I have a problem in my life currently and my response is to stick my head in the sand like an ostrich and ignore it or I'm not sleeping or I'm sleeping too much or I'm not eating or I'm eating too much what it means is that I'm mentally unhealthy and I need to start realizing how do I cope and manage my response to the stressor because I can't get away from it and I can't ignore it. As opposed to saying to someone, I've noticed that someone is now not dressing properly, not taking care of their self-care. They're not speaking rationally. They don't sound like they are able to recognize reality. That's two different things. And if you are not doing well mentally, then it means we can do something about it. And even if you have a mental illness diagnosis, your life isn't finished. You're able to still function once you're being treated. So I'm working on the t-shirts, Wendy, I promise you, but I've been trying to use my social media to get people to realize that if you know, then it helps to decrease the stigma. And if you share, it helps to decrease the stigma for somebody else. Yeah, I love that. And and one thing I want to say about whether, you know, you're not doing, your mental health is not in check or you have a mental illness, you still have purpose. You, you still definitely have purpose. Have purpose. Uh, so, so I don't care about stigmas and all that. I want you to know that if you have a mental illness diagnosis, if you have, if your mental health is not in check today because something's going on, you still have purpose. And there's help out there for you. There's people like Cheryl out there for you. Uh, me, I'm here. So I just want people to know that because sometimes people just feel so alone. And feel so isolated that they have to navigate, you know, these um, life stressors alone. And that's one thing that motivates me to do what I do is that you're not alone. We all need each other, you know, to, to really to make it through. We, we need you to educate us, right? <laughs> so we can look at mental health and mental illness differently and, um, you know, make sure we're, we're, we're checking those things. Because I think you wrote an article about something. I'm going to get the title incorrect, but something about you can't have good health without mental health. I would oh. love for you to talk about that article a little bit. All right. So I'd say my catchphrase is there's no good health without good mental health. Um, hopefully one day we could take the good out. That was just because we we're talking about well-being as opposed to illness. And it came from WHO's um, version. And so I wrote that, I think, to our local newspaper at the beginning of the year. It didn't get published until April. But really what I wanted to say to persons was the same thing you just said, that if you're mentally unhealthy in response to something, it's not forever. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with you because this happens to a lot of us. And two, it really was an encouragement at the beginning of the year that when we set those objectives or goals or resolutions, can we be deliberate about putting something in it to foster good mental health in ourselves? Because one of the things that caught me was 
it says that you need to give the best of you and not what's left of you. And the only way to do that is to have good mental health. So that includes things that people didn't picture. So I highlighted a couple of things. I'm like, you need to get adequate rest. You need to ensure that you take a deep breath during your day. Sometimes you need to completely come to a stop. I usually share my deep breathing technique, which is, I said to them, is free, you know, it's called a 335 and you just need to inhale through your nose and count to three hold it for three exhale through your mouth and count to five when you do that it helps you to think clearly what do i want to do next it includes learning to say no because sometimes when we keep saying yes we add burden to ourselves. it includes not feeling guilty when you have to take a few minutes or an even an hour for yourself in each day especially us nurses and moms you are entitled to take an hour just for you me time is important. So it's things like that. I was saying we need to just be deliberate because no matter how we talk about health and we realize we focus on things like exercise and nutrition, even financial health, we usually don't include mental health. And what I really wanted to say to them was there is no good health without good mental health. So whatever you're doing for your health, just include some mental health activities in it. Yes, absolutely. Because sometimes men- when you're not well mentally, it can manifest physically. Very much so. Manifest financially, socially. I mean, it it really is the driver to to overall health and wellness because it starts with your mind. The mind is so powerful, and I don't think people quite understand that. Um, and and one reason I uh, combine stress management with emotional intelligence is because that first pillar of self awareness is exactly what you're talking about. Are we self aware? Um, if you don't know yourself who knows you, right? We, we have to very um, much. So we have to get reacquainted with ourselves. And I say reacquainted because with time we evolve as humans and we have to take that pause to look at ourselves and see where we are. Are we on track? Do we need to pivot? Do we need to shift? Like what's happening? And we don't do that. We just keep going. And that's why I said, I feel like in our society with the pandemic, people are mentally stuck, but physically going. If that makes sense. It makes sense, Wendy. And I was just about to say that we have to also give ourselves grace to recognize that we do change. So as we change, we need to recognize where we are, what do we need in this moment, and how can we focus on that? So I'd agree with you because we are a little bit stuck. So now that I'm out of or coming out of the crisis, um, how did I respond to that? And what do I want to do in my daily life to ensure that I can respond better the next time? or to anything at all? And how do I keep moving forward and including the things that count? And I'd say to them, sometimes people talk about things for mental health and you'd say, oh, it costs money. So you're like, oh, you want to maybe have your uh, foot soak and you're like, oh, that costs money. And I'd say to them, there are two options. You could opt to look at the discounted things. Everybody has some kind of discount these days. And you say, Two months from now, I'll save and do it. And or you could use the regular method, like a pan in your house with some warm water and what we call some Epsom salts. Put your foot in it. It, it works. Your mind and your body will thank you. But I agree with you. It's, your, or it's our mindset, which is the very first aspect of it. The mind is what we use to solve issues. If we don't care for it, then we are definitely going in the wrong direction. Absolutely. This is such a great conversation. And I know so many people probably want to know, how can they get in contact with you if they have questions about what you're doing, how you're doing, if they could join your tribe, how can they get in contact with you? They could find me on Instagram. Uh, It's my underscore mental underscore health 101. Or they could send me an email 
at a mentally healthy you at gmail.com. That's typically what I use for all of my things. I'm also on Twitter. It's the same, a mentally healthy you, because that's what I've been pushing. We all need to become a mentally healthy us. So that's how they could find me. And barring that, I think I'm probably on Facebook and I'm working on a Facebook page because my posts are public, but they do come from my private page. And everything I post has the hashtag, there's no good health without good mental health. Ooh, love that. Love that. And before we wrap up, I would love to take you through a rapid fire, which is kind of like the second segment of the show. Is that <laughs> okay? <fine>? That's fine. <laughs> All right. So I want you to answer the question and you don't have to make it brief because sometimes it goes into to more conversation, good conversation or, um, you know, just finish the statement. So wellness means Wellness means more than the absence of any kind of illness. It means a deliberate effort on your part to make sure that all things are aligned within you. I know I'm stressed when? I know I'm stressed when I am not sleeping well and or my thoughts feel like they're racing from one thing to the other. My go-to stress management solution is? Reading. I love to read. If I had one wish around mental wellness or mental health, what would it be? My one wish would be to have a decrease in stigma a little bit more quickly, but I've accepted that it's going to take time and effort and I'm willing to put that in and play my part. If you can speak life or give a new nursing student a piece of advice, what would it be? Hmm. A new nursing student, I'd encourage to pay attention to the fine details and to have a proper plan because time management is important. But the last part would be to give yourself grace. It takes a little bit of time to get into the sink of anything you transition into. And if you can speak to a legacy nurse who's been in nursing for a very long time, but dealing with a lot. What piece of advice would you give that person? I'd say I start with giving yourself grace. One of the things I find is we don't give ourselves grace. We are our harshest critics. So let's start with giving yourself grace to know that you're human and we do make mistakes. The second thing is I'd say it's never too late to do introspection and reflection and to figure out where do I want to be? Where am I? And how do I get there? One of the things I usually say to persons at the end of my presentations is create yourself a table, three columns. And in the first one, you're going to write, what is my current mental health status? And the second column, I ask you to write, where do I want to be for my mental health status? And the third column is, what are the plans I have to get where I want to be? So I'd say it's the same in terms of work or life or anything else. I'd say to that nurse, make your columns. Wait see where you are, and then determine how do you get to where you want to be. Mm, I love that. It's nothing like a good plan. With the knowledge that the plan could change or you have to be flexible, but yes. there's nothing like a good plan. Absolutely. You have to, You have, where are you going, <laughs> right? Where, where you go is your roadmap. Where are you going? Yeah. And my last question for you is, what did you learn about yourself during the pandemic? Ah. <sighs> What did I learn? Well, I learned that as a teacher, I hate teaching in the virtual space. <laughs> I love being able to walk in the passages to make eye contact with my students. And I hated the black boxes and nobody was talking to me. 
I learned that it's important to have daily activities because we took for granted going out and you'd come back and say, how was your day? And we'd complain, you know, the traffic was terrible and it was a bad day at the office. I found that I don't like working from home because there's, you have to deliberately separate work, work from work at home. Um, So I found I didn't like that. I'd say the other thing I learned about myself was that I underestimated my resilience because I did figure out that I can pivot and spin and be flexible and respond to all of the challenges that came up out of the pandemic. And perhaps it helped me to be a better speaker in terms of mental health education and promotion. We all want to get to resilience. I think it can be overused, but it's really great to have that within you so that you're able to manage your mental health. I love that. Well, thank you so much. This has been such a great discussion and we'll definitely have to have you back for part two. Thank you, Wendy. Thank you so much. It's it's been my privilege and I'm happy that we were able to get this done today. Me too. And I'll be here for part two and three if necessary. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend. Before you go, I would love to share a free stress management resource with you. Go to stressblueprint.com and download your free copy of the three questions to ask when you are stressed. Until next time, go out and be your best, do your best, and give your best.